0: and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we're librarians with Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. This week, we'll be discussing the wide variety of book awards out there and whether they influence our reading. So what do you want to talk about first? The book, the awards, or whether we pay attention to them? Uh, let's talk about whether we pay attention to all them. All right, good. That's so, all do I you... have written down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't write down a list of awards, but I think we no. can kind of talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Hit me. Do you pay attention to the books?
1: Uh, yeah, to some to some degree. I don't or the awards. Yeah, I, I don't do I know some people that will like like make spreadsheets yeah. of, of awards and and kind of predict things that might win in the future based on these spreadsheets and I, I don't do anything like mm-hmm. that. But I pay a lot of the t- of attention to the Prince Award, mm-hmm. which is a young adult award that uh, the American Library Association gives out because I'm in a book club with my grad school friends where we try to predict this every year. Mm-hmm. So that's why in August through January. Mm-hmm. I only talk about young adult books <laughs> because that's what I'm reading for, for uh, my book club. And that's really fun. I really, um, I don't, do, I'm not a teen librarian, mm-hmm. but, and all of these these friends are. Mm-hmm. And we just met from from some common classes that we took. And mm-hmm. so it's really fun to hear what they're excited about. And mm-hmm. I just sort of get to go along for the ride. Mm-hmm. So so that's important to me. But other than that, that's the only one where I try to predict. Mm-hmm. Um, i pay attention to national awards like the Carnegie Award, which is another American L- Library Association mm-hmm. award, um, the National Book Award, the Pulitzer. Um, I like the Booker. I, think I like it's the Booker fun. too, yeah. So that's, that's kind of, you know, you have your eyes open for that. And mm-hmm. then I think it's fun to look up the um, some of the genre awards, mm-hmm. like the Edgar Award mm-hmm. for mysteries, I think is fun to pay attention to. And it's always kind of m- more the stuff regular people are reading versus right. this very literary um, book. So so I I think it's fun that there are a wide um, array of Mm. awards out there. So it's not just this is the the fancy book that everyone needs to read and and be very well educated in order to understand it. You have all kinds of Mm. of things out there for different interests.
0: Yeah, I like the Goodreads Choice Awards. which they do at the end of every year where it's a whole bunch of categories and it's goodreads users yeah, so it's, it's like readers People's choice, awards, so it's People's choice awards and it's always very interesting and I love looking at the list of nominees as mm-hmm. well as what actually wins and you can see vote counts which mm-hmm. I find fascinating it's very transparent I would yeah. say of how the process moves forward there are different rounds and then you ultimately see what won and that's a good guide for particularly things like If you're in a book club, picking books that will be appealing and discussable Mm -hmm. because that's good, like to look at the fiction or literary or historical fiction as one or genre if you want to tackle a genre. Um, I like, those are probably the most identifiable to me of right. books that I can go through the list and be like yep read that read that read that in the last year versus mm. some of these other awards even though I pay attention to what they are I think well I've read one of those 10 right. you know um, and it's always sort of an aspiration that I'm right. going it's to more read more of, a of a retrospective them. thing right. you think oh right. well, that's my list now. Right of- right and um, in fact right now I'm reading one that won uh, some award last year. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. Yeah. Well the, his previous book won the Pulitzer Prize but I know this one won something. Okay. So it's always good to, I mean, we've talked in previous episodes about how we choose what books we're going to read and broadening our reading and stuff. And so Mm -hmm. I always find award winners at least worthy of a look. I don't know that it's going to necessarily dictate my reading, but it's always helpful to see what is acclaimed and for whatever reason. Mm I also like there's the Morning News. They do a tournament of books. Have oh, you funny. ever paid attention to that? Uh-uh. It actually goes on right now. It sort of coincides with March Madness for basketball. And they have, <laughs> which we were just talking about before we recorded, actual March Madness. They take a series of books, and they're a good mixture between favorites for the Pulitzer mm-hmm. Book Awards and then more popular titles. And they have judges who are selected from... They have authors and they have publishing people and then they have now they've included like a a reader. They have very extensive comment sections, Mm -hmm. very thoughtful conversations that go on in the comments. So they have a judge that comes from commenters is my understanding. Like each year somebody who's been a heavy, heavily involved in the commenting. So anyway, the point is it's there's a lot of discussion about each of the books in the contest and it's like a bracket like they start with a slate of books then they go put them head to head against each other and then as they move on through the tournament there's nothing um, more fun than a bracket i know right so fun so (laughs) So, uh, there's a lot of good discussion and thoughtful discussion about why one book was chosen over another one which Mm -hmm. with a lot of these awards you don't get there's just this is the winner right and this there's a lot there's a a reason behind it and a discussion behind it. So that's really fun. That's uh the tournament of books which if you just google morning news tournament of books you can easily find it and I'll and link to it in the, the yeah. Show you notes can link too. to yeah. It, that's a fun one again, not one where I read all of the books mm-hmm. on there, but I like to kind of try to keep track of what's moving forward in the tournament. And in previous years it's one I agree with and sometimes mm-hmm. the winner is one I don't agree with, uh, but it's it's a fun one. So
1: yeah, those are those are both I, I should have thought of the, the Goodreads award because yeah. that one I get very invested in and at me the too. end of the year. i like, oh, I can't believe this book showed up on this list. This book was terrible and it's so well, much fun to, to get worked up over these things. And well, so, and sometimes I have this internal like
0: struggle so I'll go through and vote and I'll get two safe. Science fiction, which I've read one out of the twenty right. that are on the list, and I think, well, do I vote for the one that I've read because I read it and right. liked it? But I have nothing to compare it right. to, or do I leave this to the people that have actually read more of these? It's a really, it's a, it's a struggle. Yeah, with yeah, I, I know that I've done that many times where I think, well, I want to vote,
1: so mm-hmm. I'm going to vote, and I did like this mm-hmm. book, so I, yeah, I feel like I do the same thing, and, and a lot of categories they they pick really widely I think mm. they always have things that surprise me on those lists and so a lot of the time I think well this may be the best book right. of of graphic novels but right. I only read this one so that's getting my vote
0: well and that's how I when I've talked about in other episodes trying to broaden my reading horizons this year and that's how I picked some of the books that I was choosing mm-hmm. for when I read a horror novel or oh, cool. the graphic novel I read a couple of those and that's how I selected it because I thought, well, all these people can't be wrong, right, you know. If they, right. at least, it's worth reading. At least it's worth I can see find something in it that of why people liked it or mm. disagree with them vehemently and right. be like, I can't believe all these people right. liked it. But for whatever reason, uh, it's a good starting place, I would say. Um, all right, so. I think we touched on this. Are there any other awards that you pay attention to? I know there's a... It was called the Orange Prize. Now it's called like the Bailey's Women's Prize. And it's a British Commonwealth Prize, but just for women writers. And that's one that I know that when I've paid attention to it, it often has books that I have have liked or have read and enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I know that there's been some criticism of it because it only includes women, Mm -hmm. but it it came from the fact that so many awards were going to only men. Mm -hmm. And so they decided to create an award that just was celebrating women authors.
1: I sort of love the controversy of the awards. Like when the booker decided to not just be British. Yes. Um, colonies yeah. and and be worldwide and people yeah. would not so, i know not.
0: i know or the year that the pulitzer didn't award a fiction prize to anybody yeah 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 because there, there were only three books that were on the short list and then they didn't award it to anybody yeah <gasps> major I love, drama i love book world
1: yeah <laughs> book drama is the best kind of drama because it's hilarious
0: <laughs> um, all right so what are your suggestions for uh some Books to read if you're looking for an award winner to read.
1: Okay. Um, so the first book I picked is a very literary book. I tried to pick several different types of awards, but the first one is called Canada by Richard Ford, and this one, the Carnegie Medal for Fiction in 2013, and this is, um, the Carnegie Medal is given out by the American Library Association. It's for best fiction and nonfiction that's published in the U.S., um, there's a British award for Children's Lit that has the same name, so don't get yourself confused. <laughs> it yeah. is very confusing. Um, and this is a relatively new award. It's it's only been five years, mm-hmm. I want to say, uh, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. It's it, And it's kind of surprising that ALA wasn't giving out some sort of literary award yeah. before that. They have for Children's Lit mm-hmm. um, for many years, but this was the first um, adult award. So, so I think that's pretty cool, cool, and I pay a lot of attention to that because it's librarian chosen right. and...
0: Librarians are the best. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're such nerds. (laughs) So this book has a great first line, and I'll tell it to you. It says, first, I'll tell you about the robbery our our parents committed, then about the murders, which happened later. And that's just so intriguing and Mm. pulls you right in. And the book itself is about 15-year-old Del Parsons, whose Mm. life can be divided into two halves um, before the robbery that his parents committed and after. And um, and so he very much views his life in, in these two separate um, compartments. So after his parents were arrested and, and in prison, he and his twin sister, Berner, were left to pick up the pieces of their lives. And um, in Berner's case, that meant running away from their Montana home and abandoning her brother. So Dell is taken in by a family friend who who actually moves him across the border to Canada um, and he lives, um, I can't remember what province he lives in, but it's it's just in the middle. So it's full of prairies and, and very kind of Midwestern feeling. And while he's there, he tries to sort out who he wants to be as an adult, because um, he's kind of on that verge of, of becoming an adult. And he is also trying to reconcile what he wants to become with what he knows of the da- of the very damaged adults in his life that he's known so far, which is, you know, any kind of coming of age novel has some sort of moment of that. And also during this time, he befriends an American named Arthur, who's living in Canada, um, who is charming and mysterious. And it seems like he's going to be a good friend to Del, but his outward persona hides a darker, violent nature that, that he's not aware of. So I'm not going to really tell you anything else about the book besides that. <laughs> There's, you know, it's literary books. A lot of them are more the, the psychology of it. It isn't so heavy on the plot. Um, so, so read this for the psychology because it's very well done. But one thing I really liked is that Richard Ford does a great job of foreshadowing events to come, and he allows the reader to feel the weight of everything spinning toward disaster. And I, I really like books where you know things mm. aren't going to really turn out well, and, and it's not spoiling anything mm. to know that. It just is, you you see how things are going to crash at the end. There's something really, really fascinating to me um, about knowing there's not going to be a great ending for for some of these people. Mm. So um, so that's a personal favorite um, um, tactic of mine mm-hmm. in writing, and I, I also really like that the writing really matches the setting. Um, there's a very um, there's a great starkness to the writing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of spare, and and if you've been you know in the desert or mm-hmm. if you've been um, on a a plane in the Midwest mm-hmm. then um, or a prairie in the Midwest then you you kind of feel that vastness of of being under a huge sky and you sort of understand how it's both. Um, it makes you feel the infinite and also can be really claustrophobic Mm -hmm. at the same time. And and so I feel like that's really well um, brought out through the writing. So um, when I read this originally, I, I read it just one time and I was reading it for a book club. And so I read it really fast and I remember feeling like I... I wish I had been able to savor it a lot more because the language is really beautiful and he's a really gifted writer. Mm-hmm. So if you if you do choose to read this, definitely give yourself some time to to enjoy mm-hmm. the skill that he puts into this writing. So um, he's won some other awards in the past, not f- not for Canada's Canada just won the the Carnegie, I think. He won the Penn Faulkner mm-hmm. Award and he won maybe the Pulitzer too. I think so, yeah. And so he's really re- he's he's well regarded and and it's um, he's just an author that you should you should know so that is Canada by Richard Ford
0: yeah I have that at home sitting on my bookshelf it's <laughs> been there for many years well not many it's not been out that long right but, you know probably not as long as the oldest book that's been sitting on my bookshelf but
1: how old is the oldest book do you think oh man
0: 20 years yeah probably. I bet I
1: bought them from when I was like seven. Oh my yeah no
0: I'm an, all from my adult oh. life I would say oh although maybe there are some from high school yeah mm. nothing from that when I was a kid though <laughs> The book pile that never ends. That never ends. <laughs> um, so my first one is Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry, and this won the Pulitzer Prize in 1985. Have you read this? Uh-uh. Oh, so good. Uh, so the Pulitzer Prize recognizes distinguished books by an American author, preferably dealing with American life, published during the preceding calendar year. And I'm going to tell you that it's about a cattle drive in the 1800s, and you're going to think this is not for me, but I promise. <laughs> It is. Even if you think westerns aren't your thing, I think you'll still like this book. It's about two men, Gus McRae and Woodrow Call, and they're former Texas rangers who are now running a pretty unsuccessful cattle business in Texas. And they hear of an opportunity in the newly opened territory of Montana. And so they decide to pull up stakes and take their herd of cattle north. And that's just kind of the bare bones explanation mm-hmm. of it. There's, it's like an 800 page book, I want oh, to say. Oh, wow. It's epic in its scope, Mm -hmm. you know, but at the same time, it feels like just a slice of their lives. You feel like you're just coming into their lives. There's a history between these characters and there's going to be a future beyond the last page of the book. Um, And you're just there for this portion of it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Larry McMurtry did write other books about these characters, but they all came. I've never read any of them. Mm -hmm. And they he wrote them all after he'd written Lonesome Dove sort of to flesh out. I think there was a lot of demand for it. People really loved Lonesome And they made Duff. movies of it, too. They've made a miniseries. It's very, very good. Yeah. In fact, um, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I know I I watched it more than once when it was out. And I think I've read this book more than once. Oh, wow. Um, it, it, but you don't have to read, like I've said, I didn't read the other books that are part of I think it's a trilogy, or I'm not sure how many books are that he writes about these characters, but Lonesome Dove definitely stands on its own. You could just read Lonesome Dove, and if you wanted to continue on, I'm sure you could and be happy. But I, from what I understand, Lonesome Dove is the best of the mm-hmm. bunch. And it's just so good. There's like drama and danger, and there's this friendship between these men, but there's, and they're like a little bit of a love story and kind of like a yearning part of it. And then um, it's bittersweet in a way, and there's, it's a very hard physical task to move these these cattle. So there's danger there that doesn't always turn out very well for the characters. And it's just a captivating, captivating novel. And I never would have thought I would like a book about a cattle drive in the 1800s. But it is so good. Uh, It's so well written. And the characters seem like people that you would want to spend time with. And they seem so real and fully formed. It's just fantastic. That's Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry.
1: You have sold that very well. Oh, thanks. That seems, I think it's always interesting to think about if this didn't have x involved with this if it weren't a western mm. would i like this book like because yes. if you think about it if you could have the same basic story yes. but it could be like the crusades in right. in europe mm-hmm. uh, like and i would be all, oh that sounds fascinating mm-hmm. but because it has the title western or right. the, the genre western attached yeah. to it and it and i just have it in my head that that yeah. will be boring then
0: well and i think everybody can identify with that idea of you've been something in the past that Mm -hmm. you're not really any longer and what do you do next and Mm -hmm. that feeling of opportunity that's kind of scary you don't know what you're stepping into but at the same time you know you have to leave the comfort of what you know for potentially something better I don't know there's just a lot there and and like you were talking about in our last podcast with like history (laughs) learning things about Uh history um, there are things that I just wasn't aware of yeah
1: and and I just loved it well, it sounds like it has to be really
0: psychologically interesting, mm-hmm. too, because, it, yeah. but one
1: I mean, the, sort of the, the thing I think of with Westerns is that they're so plot heavy and mm-hmm. action heavy and there's not a lot else going on, mm-hmm. but Pulitzer knows what it's doing. Yeah, so. they, yeah, the committee knew what they were doing that year, in my opinion. That's very cool. Yeah. Okay. So my next book is Midwinter Blood by Marcus Sedgwick and this one the Prince Award in 2014 and like I said earlier this is a an award that the ALA gives out. It's actually sponsored by Booklist but that's an ALA publication um that recognizes excellence in young adult literature and it's and it's an award. It's it's been out I want to say since 2000. It's uh, not a terribly long-standing no, yeah, award but um but very one I think is really fun to follow. This book is actually made up of seven linked short stories, and uh, each one takes place in a different time period. So it, it moves backward, it, and the first one starts in the near future. I think it's 2070-something, um, and it moves backward in time so that you get stories that take place during World War II, um, some in the 19th century, uh, you go to the Middle Ages, and then it ends at a period where myths are made. So you, it's this unknown time period that is kind of ephemeral. Um, at its core, it's the tale of two people named Merle and Eric, and they find each other in various forms throughout history. They live as archaeologists and as kings and as painters and peasants and, and just regular everyday people. But no matter what, they somehow always find each other um, in each, each time period. And it's really kind of hard to describe this book because each story is self-contained as far as the plot goes, mm-hmm. but they each contribute to the bigger picture of the novel and i liked that it examines love in multiple forms it's not just stories about romantic love these are these are two lovers that that keep finding each other but but they aren't always a man and a woman finding each other. Sometimes it's a, an old man and a little girl, and they just have this deep affection for each other and, and friendship. And I really liked that that it covers love in, in multiple forms. Um, and the book itself is also full of common themes and motifs that run through each story. So it's really enjoyable to notice them and to, to sort of pick them out um, as you're going through the book and to find the common characters that keep showing up and to see how their behaviors sort of remain static mm-hmm. in each story. That's, I, I really like mm-hmm. sort of finding those little clues of what's going to happen. So when I, I realized as I was writing these notes that um, I was describing it as this love story through the ages, which really doesn't give the tone of the book at all. It's very dark and very moody. It sort of has this um, gothic feel. I've, I've seen it called horror, but it's it's more of a gothic in, uh, feel and, and has a, a gothic tone. It's very unsettling and it's a little bit eerie. And if you know me, you know I'm that I like, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the, the book is actually inspired by a huge painting by the Swedish artist Carl Larsson, who who painted this 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 it's massive, this painting. In, it uh, was painted in 1915, and it depicts the North myth of a ritual sacrifice of a king in order to save the country from famine. And the painting itself was very controversial at the time, but it now hangs in the National Museum in Stockholm, which is where Marcus Sedgwick saw it. And he doesn't really tell what inspired him. He just says, all you need to know is that I saw this painting, and it was the, the inspiration for my book. Mm-hmm. So... Um, now if you know anything about me, you know that I love Scandinavia. (laughs) And so when I read this for my book club, they had just kept, they just, they were saying, I think you'd really like this book, but I don't think they understood the Scandinavia part of it Mm. to me. So I flipped out when I read this because it wasn't my suggestion. Mm. It was something that just was this like beautiful surprise to me when I got this book and I got to the end and I'm like, it's based on that painting. Oh my gosh. Oh, so I was, oh my gosh, I love this book so much. So um, Carl Larson is also one of my absolute favorite artists and um I loved that it was I love books that are inspired by other works of art, so so I love that tie-in too. But I kept worrying that maybe I loved it so much just because I love Scandinavia and that that was sort of um coloring my view of it. But all of my friends loved it too and they, they felt like it was a really worthy winner of The Prince and I actually watched the the awards being announced and I cried like an idiot. I was such a dork. <laughs> I love this book so much. I always put it up as one of my staff picks, and because it's YA, no one ever that picks really it up. And cool. I always feel like I need to shove it on people because it's just such a great book. It's called Midwinter Blood. That's all one word, um, and it's by Marcus Sedgwick.
0: That sounds so good. It sounds different. Yeah, it's different, el- what and else it's is out
1: there. it's kind of weird because it's we debated whether it's actually young adult because oh. it the mm-hmm. characters aren't really teens and mm-hmm. that typically is the way you sort of figure out. And it's not really teen themes, but it's short mm-hmm. and he's a young adult writer. So I guess it fits, it but it. yeah, it, it works for young adult, but I don't think that should, it shouldn't turn someone off if you don't read YA. It, it's just a good book. All
0: right. So mine. My- sort of falls in the same category. My next one is Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. And this won the 2014 National Book Award for Young People's Literature. And I would actually consider this a middle grade novel. It's mm. skews a little bit younger than a teen novel, yeah. I would say. Uh, it's a book in verse, which is the first time I've ever read a book in oh, a verse. Cool. I'm not a huge poetry fan. We I will really never
1: about. do a poetry episode of this. We will I'm, never do I'm saying do poetry. that right now. We will
0: <laughs> say it right now, unless you get two <laughs> guest co-hosts. We will not be doing a poetry episode. I find it pretty impenetrable. When I yeah. try to read poetry, but I did not find this one difficult to understand at all. It it was just so well done. It's like these short poems about her life, about Jacqueline Woodson's life. She grew up in the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies, so there are the remnants of Jim Crow still going on, as well as the growing civil rights movement and her growing understanding of the civil rights movement as she's getting older. Um, she was born in Ohio, right in Columbus which Yay. is my hometown so that makes me happy and then moved to Greenville, South Carolina what? <laughs> that's where her grandparents lived and so she lived there for um, a little while and her mother left to go to New York City to try to make a life for herself in New York City and so Jacqueline was left with her grandparents on with her brothers and sisters um, and then her mom Basically collected them and took them to New York City. So she would spend part of her time, basically her school year, in New York City, and then her summers in Greenville with her grandparents and her family. So she could see firsthand the differences and similarities of how Black people were treated in the North. And I should say, Jacqueline Woodson is is African American. So if you didn't know, <laughs> if you if you didn't know that, um, and so definitely she's seeing the the differences and similarities between the urban. New York City versus the more rural Greenville. And then in addition to recounting the history and a child's perspective of what was going on at the time, there's also the story in there of a young girl just trying to find her place in the world, in her family. She's also aware from a very young age how important writing is to her and discovering a future as a writer for her career. It's very obvious that that's an important part of her. Uh, And so I just found it very thoughtful, kind of like it's a That's the only word that I kept coming to mind as I was reading. It's very thoughtful about the way she's observing Mm -hmm. all these things that are going and describing her life. And it's lyrical and and beautifully written, but easy to understand as well. It's not poetry in some of the ways that I think of poetry where I read it and the meaning is not clear to me. This is very, very clear. It's like little um, vignettes almost of her life. It's Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. And there was a bit of a controversy when yes. she won this award because the presenter, or like the MC of the award ceremony, made a racist joke when he right. and, and they're friendly, I think, right. Jacqueline Woodson and the MC, but I'm not going to say his name. But he uh, <laughs> he made a racist joke when he yeah. presented this award to her, and it caused quite a bit of controversy yeah. about how unacceptable that right. is and he thought um, it was all in good and he thought it was all in good fun and, it, was it, good was fun, and it wasn't not. and it was like did you even read the book because right. so much of the book is well, about he- those sorts of things that people make assumptions about based on your race or right. your culture and make generalizations and I
1: think he's right. usually a pretty thoughtful person so yeah it was, yeah, all it was, sort was just of a-,
0: a yeah I think that honestly it, it probably was just a thoughtless right. thing he he was friends with her and he didn't think it was going to be a big deal and, right and it really was so um but anyway, that's just a little side note about when we were saying book yeah. drama is the best drama. There was quite a bit of drama <laughs> about about that in not a good way. But I guess it did draw attention to an issue of of these kind of thoughtless right. remarks that can happen and and you, you should be more aware of right. what the connotation is of something that you're saying.
1: Yeah. Just on the subject of, of uh, books and verse, this is another award winner, but mm-hmm. um, I want to give a shout out to The Crossover, which won oh, the... Oh, Kwame Alexander. Yeah, yeah he's a great guy. Um, he won the Newbery uh, a couple of years ago, and that's a, a book in verse that is... It, it's like someone is rapping the story. It's such a good book, and that was another one that sort of changed my mind about novels in verse and mm. not really poetry. But mm. but the novel in verse, I think, can be really satisfying to read when it really serves the purpose of the mm-hmm. of the text mm-hmm. um, or of the plot. It just can can be so effective. Mm-hmm. So um, so don't be afraid of it. Just don't read poetry. <laughs> <laughs> read poetry if you want. Just don't expect us to talk about
0: it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's actually a lot of poetry I really love, but. It's always been stuff I learned in school or or read in in class and so there's there's affection for it if I've studied it, but just picking up a book of poetry and reading it, it doesn't it doesn't do anything for me. Sorry, readers. (laughs) Sorry, poets. (laughs) We still value you. (laughs) Okay, so my last book is The Devil in Music by Kate Ross. This won the Agatha Award for Best Novel in 1997 and the Agatha is an award that's given out by Malice Domestic which is a cozy mystery fan organization and it honors the best in the genre and I I picked this specifically because when I think of award-winning books I usually think of things that are literary that's that's instantly what comes to mind but I wanted to show that there are all kinds of awards out there even for very specific niches of of genre fiction and I think this is um you know, I I like mysteries already. I really like cozy mysteries, which uh, I think I've said are are things that don't have a lot of violence Mm -hmm. or blood or sex and um, language. They're all just sort of kind of cute and Mm -hmm. sweet. Um, To me, they're very comfort reading for me. So I I think they're really fun. But um, so I always kind of pay attention to this Mm -hmm. award and what's going on with it. This is actually the fourth book in the Julian Kestrel series. And I can't believe I'm suggesting a fourth book instead of a first. But Uh, The first didn't win the award, so that's what we're going with. Um, And I really think you can read these out of order. I think you benefit more from reading them in order, but it's the last book in the series since Kate Ross died after it was published. So there's only four books, so so just read them in order and and enjoy them while you can because it's very sad that she is gone. The series is about a Regency dandy and amateur sleuth named Julian Kestrel, and if you're in, unfamiliar with the dandy, it's a man who valued appearance and living fashionably above all else. And it's usually associated with the early 19th century, so kind of Jane Austen era. Mm-hmm. Earlier books in the series take place in England, but in this installment, Julia has tra- Julian, I should say, has traveled to Lake Como, Italy, and becomes caught up in a mystery involving the opera world. And the, the mystery itself, there, there's kind of two different mysteries that go on, but the one that leads him into the, into the story is an Italian noble, nobleman named Ludovico Malvezzi had died four years earlier. He had been murdered. And um, Orfeo, the young tenor he had been training for a career on the stage, had suddenly disappeared. So, of course, he's blamed for this murder. Everyone assumes that it had to have been um, that he was riddled with guilt and, and had, had fled the country. But there's also a possibility that Malvetsy's murder had been politically movi- motivated um, or that it had been committed by any number of other suspects. He he has an estranged wife and she has a lover, so they seem so, so suspicious to me. Um, there are other members of the nobility. That he has musical rivals and there's also a mysterious widow who somehow is appearing in Julian's dreams. So, um, so it's a very, you know, I just love settings like that. That's perfect for me. Um, The thing that I love the most about the series, though, is that Kate Ross writes amazing atmosphere into her books. If you've been to Lake Como, you know that it's probably the most beautiful place on Earth. So you feel that when you're you're reading her writing. She she makes that very clear of just how beautiful these houses are that Mm -hmm. these characters live in and and. Um, sort of the leisure that they have is is something that's appealing to read about since something that most of us don't really experience in our our own lives. Sadly. So Kate Ross also writes um, the Regency time period really well. She makes it come alive and it has um, not just sort of the the manners and the the dedication to fashionable living that you sort of get from Jane Austen Mm -hmm. and the intrigue of, of romance but you get the the drama of a Europe that's dealing with post-Napoleon upheaval and and sort of paints the bigger picture of what was going on in Europe um, besides just the, the drawing room mm. that, that I sort of think of when I think of Regency. Um, and I would call Julian Kestrel um, kind of a Regency Lord Peter Whimsy mm. if you're familiar with that series. He's effortless, effortlessly stylish and clever, and he sort of has this impression of silliness at times, but that, that really covers up that he has a deep understanding of the, the base elements of people's natures, and I honestly would defy any reader to not have a crush on him when you're reading this book. He is very swoon-worthy, I would say. <laughs> um, I think this is honestly one of my favorite mystery series I've ever read. it's really? it's, it's been a while since I've read it, but it's it, to me it's just this huge loss that, that yeah. she died after four books, and... Um, it gets very, very good reviews yeah. on Goodreads, and it's it's just a great a great series. So it's called this fourth book is called The Devil in Music by Kate Ross. And if you want to start at the beginning, the first book is called Cut to the Quick. Okay.
0: Um, all right. So my last one is Yes Please by Amy Poehler, and this won the Audio Award for Humor in 2015. The Audio Awards are awards recognizing distinction in audiobooks and spoken word entertainment, sponsored by the Audio Publishers Association or Otherwise known as the APA, and I have actually been a judge for the Audio Awards for about the past five years. But so I was not exciting. a judge. <laughs> I was not a judge for this category, so I feel like I can judge this <laughs> or you know <laughs> recommend this fairly. Um, if you're an audiobook listener at all, this is a great place to get recommendations on what to listen to. There are usually about I think like 25 categories. It's oh, sort of wow. like the Goodreads Choice Awards that we were talking about. Lots yeah. of genre categories, and they have about five or six finalists in each category that they announce in February and then the winners are announced in May. So Mm -hmm. it's a good source for multiple audiobooks in different categories that you might want to listen to. And I know personally a lot of thought goes into a lot of time and effort goes into narrowing that pool down Mm -hmm. from what we originally get as um, entrance into the award pool and then down to a finalist. So uh, I'm guessing everyone knows who Amy Poehler is. She's an actress (laughs) and a comedian. Um, And this, excuse me, this is a series of essays that cover her career and growing up and her thoughts on family and work and some advice that's both serious and funny. She has little essays that are pure humor and then some that are really thoughtful. And um, the audiobook is so fantastic. And I think I've read this both as an uh, book and then also listen to the audiobook and having her read it as well as a few special guest stars like her parents and uh, <laughs> Seth Meyers makes an appearance and it really elevates the material because it feels like she's talking directly to you like she's mm-hmm. telling these stories um, exactly how she intends them to come across. Um, it's sort of like Tina Fey's book Bossy Pants yeah. was similar it really helped uh, to listen to it as an audiobook. and in addition there's a portion that is not in the book and it's only on the audiobook and it's a live perform from uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade mm-hmm. which is a comedy troupe basically that Amy Poehler started so mm-hmm. um, it's just really engaging and witty and it's a, it's a fun book but there's also some thought behind it, it's not just humor um, although it did win the Audi Award for humor it's, it's general, generally hum, humorous but, um, but there, there is more to, to it than that there's a little bit of autobiography as well and that's Yes Please by Amy Poehler alright, we'll be right back with what we're reading this week Anne, what are you reading this week?
1: I am reading The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins.
0: It's so good. It's so
1: good. Um, This is a very, very famous book. Mm -hmm. It's a classic British mystery and it was published serially in uh, 1859 Mm -hmm. originally and it's considered the first sensation novel, which if you don't know, I will tell you um, (laughs) that basically it's a it's a style that takes the plot and feeling of the gothic novel and places it in a domestic setting so you have all the adultery and murder and kidnapping that usually take place in ruined castles Mm -hmm. in in gothic novels um usually there's some sort of supernatural element in them as well and it takes all of those same tropes and puts them into domestic um contemporary british settings so this is victorian london basically Um, so you'll see the horror of what can happen in a bad marriage. You see this, the struggle with the loss of identity that was going on in, in England at the time, um, due to industrial, industrialization. And it sort of plays on the, the real fears that people have of, of what can happen in their lives and shows that, that terrible things that, uh, happen in Gothic novels aren't just limited to exotic locations that mm. there there are terrible things that can happen in in England as well so that makes it sound kind of dark and I mean it is a, a kind of scary book but
0: but it's very enjoyable yes. too yes. so and it's a very readable cl- classic yeah. I would say you yeah. sometimes in, are intimidated I think by classics and this yeah. one was such a page turner yeah it's
1: big it's really big but it's it's very very compelling so the book starts with, um, there's a famous scene where the, one of the protagonists of the book, I, I, there's argument of who's the main protagonist <laughs> of the book, um, but this gentleman is named Walter Hartwright, and he is walking across Hampstead Heath, which is an area north of London, and it's very, kind of this big wilderness area, especially at the time, and he's walking across it in the dead of night when he suddenly encounters a mysterious woman who's dressed all in white, and she begs his help in getting safely to London, so of course he, he says, yes, I'll, I'll help you. And they, as they're walking, they have this odd conversation that somehow ties into the place that he's about to leave or the place he's about to go to um, for work, which is a house called Limeridge House. And it, it's sort of as strange that she brought this up on her own. So he's very um, captivated by, by this conversation. And once he um, gets her to London and she departs from him, then a Carriage pulls up and says, have you seen this woman? And it turns out that she had just escaped from an insane asylum. Ah. Dun, dun, dun. So last night I was writing this up and I wrote out all these descriptions of things that happened. And then I thought, no, everything I'm saying is giving away too much from this book mm. because sort of the pleasure of reading it is... Is seeing how it was published uh, in the serial form so there are all these moments that are big reveals or big dramatic <coughs> big dramatic things that happen and that's I don't want to take that away from the reader so so those there's lots of them in this book it isn't just a, a twist that happens one time mm-hmm. there's lots and lots of things that that surprise you um, and that was just due to the the type of publication that that it appeared in and then later it was published in one volume in 1860 so so I, I'll tell you that the book was a massive hit. It launched many, many imitators. It even inspired tie in products and songs because it was such a, a big cultural phenomenon. And it's never been out of print since it was published, yeah. which is a pretty big deal. Right. That's not every day you see that. And it has so many amazing things. It has mysterious figures in the forest. It has a bewitching Italian nobleman who's not to be trusted. It has a sickly uncle who ignores danger just for the sake of of paying attention to art. He's hilarious. He's my favorite character. Um, There are stolen letters. There's eavesdropping. There's lovers with mismatched social statuses. There's nefarious plots of all sorts. There's murder and there are creepy mice that are trained to crawl over someone's hands back and forth. That's so gross. So it's just it's amazing. It's such a fun book. It's so it's it's perfect for, for kind of giving you a chill, but mm-hmm. but not being overly scary. Mm-hmm. It's just more atmospheric more than anything. And maybe above all, you get an amazing heroine who defies all the stereotypes of of the period. She, she's just such a great character. So I'm already I'm calling this it's gonna be one of my top ten yeah, books that of the year. Like that. It's so such good. a good book. I'm kind of disappointed that this is the first time I've read it because yeah. it's it's been on my shelf for yeah.
0: 20 years probably. Yeah. Well, so. that's, I read this at least 10 years ago. It's time, I think, for yeah. a reread. And I want to read The Moonstone, too. That's been on my yeah, shelf. I've Ever never, since I read The Woman in White, I immediately bought The Moonstone. Yeah. No, I
1: have read it. But interestingly, I mean, they're both considered masterpieces, uh-huh. but on Wilkie Collins's tombstone not moonstone tombstone (laughs) i kept thinking that doesn't sound right right. um he he has himself listed as the author of the woman in white this is the one that he felt the most proud of so it's great yeah Yeah, it's an, an amazing book and it's it's the woman in white by wilkie collins
0: So what I read this week was When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. And this is about sort of an autobiography of this man, Paul, who throughout his life was always trying to delve into the meaning of life, understand what the meaning of life was. And he had a passion for writing and literature and philosophy and biology. And so he decided to pursue neurosurgery to see uh, the core of what made human life meaningful, the brain, figuring he could bring together all of his passions to really understand life basically Um, and he was just completing his residency in neurosurgery at the age of 36 when he was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer and so suddenly he goes from being a doctor who's kind of observing the meaning of life to a patient and trying to understand it on a personal level and he's struggling with what life means and how you choose to spend your time because and what what I found what really struck me was we all know we're going to die at some point, and nobody knows when. And he mm-hmm. is in the exact same position. He has no idea when he's going to die. At one point, they uh, his treatment is working, and they think that he could get another 5 to 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so even though it's terminal, he he has no time frame to go on. And so he is trying to decide, does he pursue his career in neurosurgery, which basically he can like write his ticket to his career in neurosurgery. He could get anything he ever wanted from a career because he's done. he's been very successful in his schooling, mm. or whether to write, which is a dream he always had, and that he thought maybe one day he would fulfill after 20, so, 20 or so years of practicing neurosurgery. But now that the time is condensed, he has to decide where to put his efforts. And so what he actually decided in that realm was both to continue with neurosurgery, but also to write this book. And he also has to decide whether or not he wants to become a father in that time that he has remaining. So ultimately, he only lived about two years from the time of his diagnosis. Oh, wow. And the book was not finished when he passed away, but his wife writes the last little portion of it about how he ended, his, or how his, the end of his life was for him and his family. And while it sounds depressing and understandably it's sad, it's also very, very moving and inspiring. And there's a real sense of grace to him and his life and thoughtfulness, um, and how he approaches both his life and the end of his life as well as his patients mm-hmm. and i cannot recommend it highly enough it's called when breath becomes air by paul kalanithi that sounds great it's it was excellent it would be great if your book club is willing to read something like this there's yeah. a lot to discuss yeah all right so let's go back and list off what we talked about today
1: okay i talked about canada by richard ford midwinter blood by marcus sedgwick The Devil in Music by Kate Ross. And what I read this week was The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins.
0: And I talked about Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. Yes, Please by Amy Poehler. And uh, what I read this week was When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Callanithi. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, okay if you want to get in touch with us To give us feedback Or a suggestion on a, on a topic You'd like us to cover You can email us at Wellreadpod at gmail.com Or find us on Facebook or Twitter uh, Our Twitter handle is At Wellreadpodcast Please rate and review us on iTunes Or your other podcast provider of choice Our podcast is engineered by Adam Barber. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear We keep our show notes At org Slash Wellread Where you can find a listing Of every book we talked about In this episode Thank you all for listening and happy reading.